All right, we are going to get into the word, so assume a position to receive the word, whatever that means for you tonight. All right, we ready? Ready into the word tonight? Men. Men, let's do it. Okay. Last week, most of you were here last week, right? Last Friday? Okay. We had the privilege last week of having Dr. Rowe come and speak to us last week. And I, he's come a couple of times and I've really been blessed by, by his ministry here to us in this place. Uh, and he said a number of things. He's spoken a number of different things. But one thing he said last week, it kind of struck me. And I don't know if it struck anyone else. One thing he said, kind of just in passing, more than anything else, he talked about two hours. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Yeah, two hours. He said, two hours a day in prayer, at least. You know, two hours, it's like two hours is not much, right? Two hours, it's nothing. Two hours a day in prayer. And when he said that, I I got the feeling, I got the sense I don't know if there were like audible gasps in the room or whatever it was, but I got the sense that, you know, we, we didn't really jump up to receive that one. You know, like it wasn't, it wasn't the burning of our heart to, to just say, yes, that's, that's what, that's where I'm at. And that's, if, if that's not where I'm at, that's where I want to be. But it, it kind of, it, it stuck with me two hours a day in prayer because generally we, we have a hard time praying on our own, right? Do you guys, do you guys feel that? How it's not, I mean, I'm not going to ask if anyone spends two hours a day in prayer. You could raise your hand if you want, but, but I'm guessing, I I just got the sense, you know, that most of us aren't really there. And most of us don't really have a sense even for how that's possible. I mean, who prays for two hours? I mean, some special people are called to intercede. You know, they're intercessors. That's their calling. And that's what they do. So they pray two hours a day or more, three, four, five hours a day. But everyone, you know, every day, two hours a day in prayer. And it's something I've really been sensing is on the Lord's heart for us at New Philly is to grow in our personal prayer lives, to grow in our personal prayer lives. Because I feel at the same time, this is kind of something I think that that a lot of people are feeling, that in this season, God desires to grow us deeper. Amen? He desires to grow our roots down deeper. Like, trees planted by streams of water that are bearing a whole lot of fruit, right? Right? He wants to grow us deeper. That's on God's heart for us at New Philly. And I can assure you that there is only so deep you can go without cultivating your personal prayer life with the Lord. I, I can assure you of that tonight. You can grow deep. You, I mean, you can, you can grow in the Lord by, by like coming to church on Sunday and receiving the word, you know, and, and spending time corporately in prayer and corporately in praise. You'll grow that way. That, that'll happen. 
but you're not going to grow down deep into the Lord without cultivating that place of intimacy with him. It just doesn't work that way. You know, it, it just makes sense, right? You think of human relationships, uh, a marriage. If you've got a husband and a wife that aren't consistently communicating with each other, that's going to be a dysfunctional marriage. It's going to break down because there's no communion there. There's no fellowship there. You know, you're not communicating. If you're that way with the Lord, you know, then you can't, you know, mine the depths of the heart of God. You can't find the deep hidden things of God. You can't be steady in your ministry in God. God's calling this church to such wonderful things. We're getting a sense for that. God is calling us to big, big things. And he needs us rooted down deeply in him to accomplish that. It's not going to happen otherwise. It's just not going to. And so tonight I, I want to just spend a bit of time there talking about prayer. And tonight I, I just want to talk about one thing really concerning prayer. I want to talk about one thing about who God is. And how that relates to prayer. Keep it very simple. Just one thing. This truth about God is this. That God is committed to your prayer life. Okay, make sure you got that. That's this whole night. For for the message tonight. God is committed to your prayer life. You may not be committed to your prayer life. In all likelihood, we are not very committed to our prayer lives. But God is fully, 100% committed to our prayer lives. God is filled with desire to fellowship with us. He's filled with desire to be with us in the secret place, in that quiet place. He wants it. He wants it really bad. He, he's totally committed to it. Okay? And when I'm talking about prayer tonight, I'm not primarily talking about intercession or, or like warring in the spirit. That's all part of this too. But primarily, I'm just talking about being with God, fellowshipping with God, you know, being in his presence, gazing upon his beauty, talking to him, listening to him. The heart of God is to fellowship with us in that place. He longs for it. And this is, this is God we're talking about, right? This is, this is Genesis 1 God. This is the creator of the universe, right? The creator of the galaxies, the solar systems, right? The God who speaks these things into existence. By his word they are created. This God who is the fullness of glory, the fullness of love, the fullness of joy, the fullness of peace, perfection of all these things. This God wants to fellowship with you. He wants it. He wants it. And he has done everything to make that possible. Okay? That's, that's what I want us to get tonight. He's done it all. And we're going to look at four kind of sub-truths that reveal that through scripture. 
I think we'll get through four. We're going to try to get through four of those sub-truths as they're revealed in Scripture about God's commitment to us in prayer. So we're just going to jump right into them, okay? First truth, are you ready? First truth about who God is as revealed in Scripture that reveals to us his commitment to us in prayer is that God is your dad, right? God is your dad. This is a church. We've been spending some time in this place the last few months, right? We've talked about the father heart of God, you know, the spirit of adoption. Um, You know, we've been digging into this, but this is the kind of truth. I tell you, you need to keep pressing into this through your whole life because it's so easy to lose sight of this. It's so easy to stop believing it really. We need to keep pressing into it. We need to keep laying hold of it. God is your dad because the whole the, the world is going to scream otherwise. Satan's going to scream at you otherwise. But the truth is, in Jesus, you are God's son and you are God's daughter. Okay? If you look through the Gospels and you see Jesus praying in different places, you'll notice that every time Jesus is praying. Who's he praying to? He's praying to the Father. He's always addressing God the Father as Father. Right? And when Jesus' disciples, when they come to him, like they notice, they, they, they understand that prayer is really important to Jesus. They see him doing it a lot. They take note that Jesus often withdraws to, to lonely places or quiet places and prays. They see it. They know that Jesus values it, and they're interested, and they want to pray, but they don't really know how. And so they come and talk with Jesus, and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. We want to know how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And you know the prayer that Jesus teaches them. I hear you, you sing it on Sundays sometime. I wanna, I'm looking forward to experiencing that. Um, but the first two words, our Father, you didn't have to sing them. That's okay. We'll, we'll sing them later. Uh, our, our Father, right? Our Father. That's the first thing that Jesus wants to communicate to his disciples and through them to us about how to relate to God in prayer. That God is our father. He's really trying to drive that home. He wants to emphasize that God is your dad. God is your dad. And, and Jesus says, you know, when you go to prayer, don't be like the Pharisees, right? They go and they stand on the street corners and they make these big flowery, lengthy prayers in public so that everyone can see them. And so that people think they're good people, right? People think highly of them because they're praying in public He says, don't be like them. He says, don't be like the pagans. Because the pagans, what they do, they they go on babbling. And they go on and on, trying to win the approval of God through prayer. They're trying to win God's heart through prayer. Jesus says, don't be like them. That's not how you're meant to approach God. He said, Look at the way a child approaches a good father. Not just any father, but a good father. Look at the way a child approaches a father. I want you to approach God in that way. 
Do it that way. Because, you know, a child doesn't have to earn anything from his father, right? A child who knows that he's loved by his father, he's got nothing to earn. He's got that position that is set. He did nothing to receive it. He did nothing. He's just a son, right? She's just a daughter. And the father, a good father, wants to spend time with their children. I've noticed this. I've got a number of friends now, and I've got brothers as well, who are fathers. And I noticed that a good father just wants to be with their son or their daughter. They just want to be with them. They, they just want to be there. You know, that son and that daughter has nothing to offer the father, not a thing in the world to offer the father. The father just wants to be with them because he delights in them. He delights in them. You know, even like a baby, right? What can a baby do? What, what do babies do? I mean, they cry. What else? They go poo. Yeah. They what? They sleep. They eat. Yeah, that, that's about it. That's, and and they, might, they might look at you and they might smile. They might even laugh, right? But that's probably the extent of it when you're a baby. That's what you do. You have nothing to offer the father. The father just wants to be with you because he delights in you. He loves you. He loves you. It says in Luke 11, there's this really, I love this passage because I think it's so hard to understand. I, I enjoy passages that are hard to understand. In Luke 11, it says that compared to our earthly fathers, our good ones, Well, let me say that the other way around. God compared, if you compare, <laughs> I'm getting this mixed up now. Our earthly fathers are evil compared to God the Father. Right? Luke 11, if you want to look that up. Let's look it up together. Why not? We haven't been in it yet. So Luke 11. Go to verse 11, Luke 11, verse 11. It says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And it says a bunch of things in there, but one thing I want to highlight, those, if you then, who are evil, you are evil, you good earthly fathers are evil. Think of like, think of like the best earthly father you know. Just get a picture in your mind. The most loving, welcoming, affirming father. Everyone just, just get a picture of that father in your mind. It might be your own father. That would be, that'd be amazing if it was. And that, that's a good father, right? That father does really well. Jesus says he's evil. Okay? He, he's evil because God the Father is so much better, so much more wonderful than him, so much more affirming and welcoming than that 
father. That's his heart toward you. And he just wants to be with you. All right? Ephesians 1 says that we have been adopted as God's children to the pleasure of his will. We've been adopted to God's very pleasure. Right? So when you think about all of the things that could make God happy, right? God has everything that is available to God. Everything. At his disposal. He's got everything. He's got anything he wants that could make him happy because he's God and he can do anything. And to make himself happy, what did he do? He adopted you. He adopted you because you make God really happy. Do you realize that? In your failures, you know, in your weakness, you make God really happy. You do. There's a verse I I love out of Psalm 139. Turn there next. Psalm 139. It's a fairly, fairly familiar psalm. I came across something as, as we were studying Hebrew last semester, Pastor Marcus and Pastor Myungwa, myself, last semester at, at school, we were studying Hebrew. And this, this really blessed me deeply when I saw this. If you go to verse 17, Psalm 139, verse 17, It says in the ESV, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. And when I read this passage in the past, I always kind of thought of this as God's thoughts in general. How precious to me are your thoughts. So God's thoughts, you know, about the church or God's thoughts about the nations or whatever it might be, your thoughts. Because that's kind of how it looks when you read it, right? How precious to me are your thoughts. You know, God's got lots of thoughts. And, and, they're, and they're precious. That's, that's, that's good. That's true. His thoughts are precious. But, but this word too, how precious to me are your thoughts. In the Hebrew, there are a couple of different ways that you can translate this. It's the word li for you, you Hebrew scholars out there. I'm sure you remember last semester. Um, but uh, this word can be translated either to or toward. Okay? And the way I read the, the psalm, the context definitely leans toward the word, the word toward. So read it with that. How precious toward me. Toward me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. The whole context of the psalm is talking about the way that God views us intimately and his desires for us intimately. Right? And I think, I think the, the New Living Translation is the only one that I've come across. It has a really good translation that way for this. But his thoughts toward you, his thoughts about you, are what? More than the sands. 
more than the sand. His thoughts toward you. You know what God's doing right now? You know what God's doing right now? He's thinking about you. He's thinking about you right now. That's God's heart toward you. He's thinking about G. He's saying, wow, I love G. You know? That's, that's, you know, he's just, he, he's just really into G. He, just, he, he is. He's thinking about her. He's delighting in her. He's just, man. And that, that's the same for all of you, not just G, of course. But God is our dad, and he has set things up in such a way that we would relate to him as father, not as a stranger, right? As a perfect, loving, welcoming, affirming father, the way a child runs to the arms of a father who he fully trusts, you know? That's God's heart toward us. He's committed to our prayer lives. He's made a way for that to happen. Okay? Second thing we see in Scripture about God's commitment toward us in prayer is that through the blood of Jesus, we have full access into the presence of God. Okay? Through the blood of Jesus, we have full and complete access into the presence of God. Turn with me to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, we'll look at verse 19. author of Hebrews says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. All right, let us draw near. Let us draw near with hearts in full assurance of faith. I think this passage of Scripture is one of the most amazing passages of Scripture in the Bible. I think it's phenomenal. But we generally look at this passage like 2,000 years on this side of the cross, and we read this, and we're like, now, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, the blood of Jesus, uh, through the curtain, you know, great high priest, let us, let us draw near. Okay, let, let's draw near. That's cool. We'll, we'll draw near, you know. We'll draw near to the presence of God. And what we don't realize is that for the original readers of this text, this book was written to Jewish people in the first century, And to these people, this passage would have totally blown their minds. It would have completely blown them away. This would have been revolutionary for them. You got access into 
the holy places. Into the most holy place. The whole, you got access. You can go there? They'd think you were crazy unless they understood prophecy properly. Right? Because in the Old Testament, this is how it works. Is you've got God dwelling most fully, in a sense, in a place called the Holy of Holies. He dwelt in a special way in this room. This room was in a tent, which was surrounded by a courtyard. The place is called a tabernacle. So when the, the Israelites, when they're in the wilderness, right, they're, they're wandering around, God gives Moses instructions to build this, this place, this place of worship, which was to be at the center of the camp for the Israelites. It was the center of worship. It was the focus for everyone. All right? And in the courtyard of this place, they had some different things. They had a bronze altar where they offered burnt offerings to God. They had a laver, a place for washing there. And in the kind of the back area of the courtyard, they had a tent. And the tent had two rooms. And many of you probably know this, but the front room was called the holy place. And that had, you know, these things like the table of showbread and the golden lampstand and these, these images that are ultimately pointing toward Jesus. Okay. And they're objects used for worship. And in the back half of that tent was, was the most holy place. And what was in there was the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where God dwelt. He chose to dwell in a room in a special way. Okay? And no one could go there. It was too holy. It was too other. It was too holy. There's no word you can use beyond holy to describe that, that place, right? We're not given a, a better word for that. Right? It was... It was holy, holy. And no one, no one could go be with God because God is holy and you can't approach God because you're not holy. You can't. You're compromised. You're a sinner. You're a rebel, right? Only one person could ever go into that place who was a high priest and he could only go in one time a year. So one time every year, a guy called the high priest, that's his title, he gets to go into a room to offer sacrifice for the nation, to offer atonement for the whole nation of Israel. He gets to go, he's the only guy, he gets to go in there one time a year and be in the presence of God. And he's got to be careful. Because if he's not careful, he's going to die. God's just going to kill him. He's going to strike him dead right now. Because God is holy. No one would ever dream of actually going in there besides the high priest. You wouldn't even think about it. You'd be dead. Right? You would, you would die. If you want to die, that's what you do. And you bring a curse upon your family probably too. I don't know if there's any regulation for that in scripture. But you will die if you go there. Because... You're not holy. Only God is. So you can't be with God. You can't. In the Old Testament, you can't be with God. You can't be in his very presence. Not a possibility. And then you get to Luke 23. 
And Jesus is on the cross. And when Jesus is on the cross, it says he breathed his last. And now the holy place is in a temple. It's in Jerusalem. But it's still the same setup. It says when he breathed his last, the curtain between the holy place and the most holy place was torn from top to bottom. It was ripped in half. And that was no small thing because this curtain was three feet wide. It didn't just rip by accident, you know? Holy Spirit comes down. He tears this thing from top to bottom. And he's showing that now, through the death of Jesus, through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we have access into the very presence of God. We can all be with God. Everyone who trusts in the name of Jesus, who is cleansed by his blood, gets to be with God. You get to be there with God. You, you would not dream of this if you were an Israelite. It, it, was, it would seem totally crazy. Not realistic in the least, you know? But that's what, that's what Hebrews 10 is talking about here. And we don't just go to God now crawling on our faces right before him. It says we go with confidence. Hebrews 4 affirms that as well. Approach boldly the throne of grace. We get to go into the very, and now the holy place, the most holy place is not a place on earth. We know it's in heaven. God's very presence, the throne room of heaven. We get to actually be there. I mean, you read Revelation 4, Revelation 5. We, we get to be there, right? We, we don't have open vision the way John did, but we get to be there. In God's very presence. You know, Matt Redman wrote a song a while back called, you know, Where Angels Fear to Tread. Angels, these perfect angelic beings, you know, these, they're, they're all right. They're, they're holy because they, they don't sin up in heaven. They fear to tread there. It's, you know, go home tonight and just spend some time in Revelation 4 and 5. Just, just meditate on those passages. We get to be there. God wants us to be there. His heart is for us to be in that place. Because you know what? He didn't just one day snap his fingers and said, okay, I think it's, it's cool that we all just get together in the throne room, you know? I, I, let's, just, let's just make that happen. The only possible way for that to be accomplished was through sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a human, right? To come and die in our place for our sins. His own son, who he loves more than anything, right? What was dearest and closest to him, he sent him to earth to die a brutal death on a cross, a humiliating death on a cross, the fullness of humiliation in every way so that we could come into fellowship with him, so that we could be with him. That was the price. The price was nothing less than that. God did not have his son slaughtered so that we would stand off at a distance 
and do other stuff, you know? He didn't do it for nothing. He did it for a specific purpose. He says, these are my children. I choose them. I adopt them. And I need to make a way for them to be with me. And this is the only way it's possible. And I love them so much that I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it happen. So that they can be with me. So they can drink deeply of my glory and beauty. So they can be in my presence. All right? It's the second thing that God has made a way for us to be in his very presence through the blood of his son, Jesus. Got a couple more. We'll go through them a bit quicker. Third thing that, that we, we learn about God's commitment to us in prayer is that he's given us his very word, right? Like, I think you're all holding a Bible right now. The word of God for us on paper written down it says in second timothy three that all scripture all of it is god breathed it's god breathed right this is god's very word to us his very word to us he inspired people by his holy spirit to put pen to paper so that they would write down the heart of god so that we would have it available to us, right? Because God knows. I mean, it can be hard for us to hear his voice at times. We're growing in that. We're growing to hear the voice of God. But he wants to communicate to us so dearly that he would want, that he has his words, his very heart written down in a book for us. And I confess, I confess myself tonight that I, so often, I don't treasure this book anywhere near where I should, right? The very word of God. This is no ordinary book, right? The word of God sharper than any double-edged sword, right? Living and active, the word of God. And we go to our local Christian bookstore, you know, uh, we got our our selection of you know twenty different translations of the Bible in our own language, and we just casually you know pick a couple off the shelf, and we've got our our selection at home, three or four Bibles, you know. And we just kind of take one, we flip through it, you know. We we spend some time in the Word, but if we really understood what this book is, if we really got it, we would treasure it so richly, so deeply. You know, there are so many places in the world where Bibles are not accessible. There just aren't any. They're not available. And people are thirsting and hungering after the word, and they want one so badly. A story about a guy named Brother Yoon. You guys ever hear of Brother Yoon? Probably many of you have. Chinese pastor in, in house church, underground church. A number of years ago, he, he came to Christ in the 70s when he was a teenager. And... He came, through, he came to Christ through witnessing a miraculous healing of his father. The whole family came to Christ. And he heard along the way that the words of God were written down in a book. I mean, this, they have no background knowledge of, of Jesus 
or anything about Christianity or the Bible. They got nothing. He just hears the words of God, the God who rescued his father, who, who healed him and who rescued his family. His words are written down in a book. And he decided, I need to have one of those books. I need to get one. They exist somewhere. I need to find one. And he set himself to fast and pray. He fasted and prayed. Well, he, what he did, he had like he had a small bowl of rice. That was his food for 100 days. For 100 days, he did this. He wanted it so badly because the words of Almighty God were written in a book. And I need to have it because God wants to communicate to me. And I want to have that book, right? And finally, after 100 days, a man comes to his house and and gives him a Bible. And the man, it turns out later, God had sent that man three months earlier, like 10 days into Brother Yoon's fast, but that man didn't want to give up his Bible. And, and God sent him. It was like he took three months. It took three months to actually get there, so he fasted like 90 days, kind of unnecessarily. But he, God was pleased with his heart to press into that and to just go with it, all right? And so he gets, this, he gets a Bible and he treasures it. And he doesn't even know how to read very well. The guy like in, in rural China, I mean, literacy is not very high. But he needs to learn how to read first. And so he learns how to read and he goes very slowly through it. And as soon as he can, as soon as he, can he starts memorizing the Bible. He starts with Matthew, memorizes the book of Matthew and just starts preaching that, just reciting it. That's what he does because he knows this is the word of God. It's living and active and has the power to transform lives. God wants to communicate to us so badly that he went to the extent of having his words, his heart, his thoughts written down in a book so that we would have access to it. Okay, He's committed to our prayer lives. He's committed to our time spent with him. Totally. Okay, one last thing. So we've got three things. God is our dad. He's given us access into the most holy place through the blood of Jesus. And he's given us his word, right? He's, he's really trying to communicate with us. He really is. Fourth thing is that God has given us his very spirit to live inside of us. All of us here, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, have the Holy Spirit, God himself, the third person of the Trinity, living in us, living inside of us. You're the temple of God. He lives inside of you. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to direct us into truth. Right? John 16 says that. So it really goes hand in hand with with the third truth, with, with God giving us the Bible. When we're reading the Bible, you know, it's really, it's really hard to get anything out of the Bible without the Holy Spirit. Maybe nothing, right? You, you don't just read the Bible without the Holy Spirit because a lot of people try to do that, people who don't know Jesus, and they, you know, it's, you know, it's a historic book, so they read through it. They get nothing out of it unless the Holy Spirit is on them to illuminate the truth of the Scriptures to them. But God gives us his very spirit to direct us into truth, right? And then it says in Romans 8, he helps us in our weakness in prayer. 
right? God's done everything. He set up this structure in place where we come to him as he's our dad and we go to the throne room and we've got his word, we're with him and God knows even still it's hard for us to pray, right? The spirit helps us in our weakness, Romans 8 says. It's hard for us to pray. Let's be real, right? It is. But God's given us his spirit to empower us to pray. And not only to empower us to pray, the Holy Spirit prays through us with groanings that words cannot express. God is that committed to our prayer lives, brothers and sisters. He is that committed. He wants it. He's like, I understand this is not easy, but I'm going to do everything everything. I'm going to do everything to make this possible. Your part is just to come. Is the structure is in place. I've done everything necessary to make this happen. Now come be with me. Fellowship with me. Oh, gaze upon my beauty be satisfied in my presence. Come, forget about the things of the world. Forget about everything else you think satisfies you. Everything that the world says is important for your life. Forget about those things because they're dust and ashes and they're fading away. They're going to burn, Second Peter 3 says. The elements, everything is going to burn. It's passing away. Forget about the things that are passing away. Come fellowship with me because that's true food. That's true nourishment. There's nothing more delightful. There's nothing more enjoyable than being with me. This is God's heart toward us. And I really feel that God is going to grow us deeper into prayer, deeper into intimacy with him as warriors, as mighty warriors. So I, I love looking to the life of David. I really do. David is a mighty warrior that I aspire to be like in so many ways. And you got this guy who he's like the manliest of all men. Like he kills a lot of people. Yeah. But uh, he he's just like, you don't get any more manly besides Jesus himself, you know? than King David. And then you read Psalm 27, right? One thing I desire of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing, David wanted one thing. This was a warrior who was intimate with the Lord. That was the foundation of his strength. One thing. I just want one thing. I just want to be with you, God. I just want to be with you. And God has given us all that right and that privilege as sons and daughters of the living God. He calls us in. He says, just come be with me. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to encounter you. Just come. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for being a God who desires to be with us. God, you are not a God who is far off at a distance. You are a God who is here. And you call us to yourself. And you continually communicate to us, God, your longing for us to be with you. God, I pray that you would grow in each one of our hearts a growing thirst and hunger and longing to be with you, God. Yes, wreck us, Lord, from the things of the world that we think satisfy us. Lord, and give us hunger and thirst for what's truly satisfying in you, Lord. Yes, Lord, grant us this by your grace, by your spirit, that we would grow in love with you, that we would fellowship intimately with you, God. Yes, truly satisfied in you. Yes, God. Yes, that two hours a day wouldn't feel like that much, God but that we would just delight in being with you, Lord. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for how you're going to grow us, Lord, in this place, Lord. Oh, we thank you, God. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.